0: about what God is doing. I I just, I wish that I could bottle it and give all y'all a jar of it. A big old jar of get happy. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 is where we're going to start today. If you have your Bible, your tablet, your computer, your laptop, whatever you might have if you want to look that up. If you don't have any of the above, you can look right up here above my head, and it says this, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Today, we are continuing our, our study of the various pieces that make up what the Apostle Paul described in Ephesians chapter 6 as the full armor of God. We're spending a little time talking about each individual piece because we need to understand that there is coming a day in each of our lives when we will not only need to know what the full armor of God is. Yes, we need to know that. What is the full armor of God? We need to know that. But we also need to know how to use those things in our lives. And and let me just throw this out there. This is not a... a Some kind of slick, multi-week series designed to wow everybody. So that you walk out and go, boy, that was just so cool. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what this is. This is a subject that could be the difference between spiritual life or death for someone who's listening today. This is not a sermon that we can say, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They sure needed to hear this. While I agree that so-and-so probably needs to hear it, I need to hear it, and so do you. We might not always think about it, but we need to realize and believe that each and every piece of this armor is vitally important if we are to live overcoming and victorious spiritual lives. According to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, the battle that we are engaged in is a battle against a powerful and relentless spiritual enemy, the devil. His, his goal is to use tricks and schemes and methods to undermine our faith and destroy us. But God desires, see that's the devil's goal, but God desires for us to stand against the attacks of the enemy and he has provided what we need. He has provided the armor that we need with which to do that. But in order for it to be effective, we have to put it on and we have to leave it on. As we have said before in the last few weeks, the reference to standing here means to to hold a critical position during the time of an an enemy attack. More specifically, in this case, standing is the image of a soldier refusing to give up an inch of ground that has already been taken. It's the image of a, a, a soldier on the defensive protecting ground that has been taken from the enemy. It's not standing as in, as in just standing around doing nothing. It is making a stand. God has blessed us with so much. And the devil wants to take it all away from us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the armor of God that is described in Ephesians 6. And if we will use these things, we will be able to stand. But if we're going to be able to stand... We must put on the full armor of God, not just the parts we like, and not just wear it at those times when we want to wear it. Each of these pieces of armor must be a consistent part of our lives each and every day. So, so far in this series, we've looked at the belt of truth, we've looked at the the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. The Shoes of the Gospel of Peace. And so I want to do a really, really quick review. The belt of truth provides a place for many of the other pieces of armor to to rest on or to be secured by. Everything in our armor must rest on and be secured by truth. Not our own personal version of truth, but truth as it's found in the Word of God. Without truth, we as soldiers in this battle against spiritual forces will find the other pieces of the armor useless. And unless our lives and testimonies are rooted and lived out in truth, we will not be able to stand in that evil day that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6.13. And then it's the breastplate of righteousness that we talked about that speaks of living a holy life. It's not self-righteousness. Instead, it's righteousness that only comes from God through Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is there to protect our heart, our innermost being, meaning our will, our mind, and our emotions. When we allow sin to dwell in our lives, we give Satan a break in the armor. And through that, he can attack us and exploit us. Ephesians 4.27 speaks of, of not giving the devil a foothold or a place or a place to get into our lives, an entry place in our lives. And you can be assured that the devil will look for any weakness through which he can get into our lives. But I will tell you that a life of righteousness lived out in personal holiness, closes up those footholds, it closes up those breaks in the armor, and it protects us from the devil when he attacks us. And then last week we, we talked about the shoes of peace. That speaks of our foundation in Jesus. When our shoes are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, it means that we are saved by grace and we know it. That means nothing can change our minds. Nothing or nobody can take that away from us. And we know without a doubt that that's true. And the devil will try to make us doubt that we're saved. But when we are firmly standing on the gospel of peace, we know that we are secure in our salvation. And as a result, we cannot and will not be moved. And that means what? It means we stand. The piece of armor that we're looking today is the shield of faith. I like the way the King James Version says it in Ephesians 6.16. It says, above all, let's look at the King James Version. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The words above all should help us to see that although each and every piece of the armor is is important, it's essential, this shield of faith is a vital part of armor. And that's why Paul said, above all else, you have all these other things, but above all, take up that shield of faith. So first of all, let's see how a Roman soldier's shield was designed and how it was used. In ancient warfare... Shields were an incredibly important part of a soldier's army. There were several kinds of shields that were used by the Romans during the first century, but there were two kinds that were most commonly used. One was a small round shield that was secured to a soldier's arm by two leather straps. Looks similar to that. It was about this big. It had two straps. It strapped on here, and they held it here. And this shield was primarily used to ward off the thrust of an enemy's blade in hand-to-hand combat. So you've got a small blade here, not a big giant sword, but a small blade. And this is held to, 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 in that hand-to-hand combat fight. This is not the shield that Paul was referring to here. Instead, the, Paul, the, the word that Paul used here is thureos, And it comes from a Greek word, thure, which means door. So the Thoreos was a large door-shaped, or at times a large oval-shaped shield. It was big. These shields were about four and a half feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. And they were designed to cover a majority of the, the soldier's body. The shield was usually made of a solid piece of wood covered with metal or heavily oiled leather. And because of its size and structure, a man could put most of his body behind it and it would absorb the javelins and the arrows that that were being shot at them from the enemy. In the case of flaming arrows, which was very common back then, very often arrows would be snuffed out in this this shield as they became buried in the thickness of the shield. Historians tell us that during some of these battles that these shields would often bristle with smoking arrows. They would stop so many arrows by holding this up that it would just have arrows sticking in, they would be extinguished, but they'd still be smoking. The shield was also curved along its length in order to provide some type of protection to the soldier's sides. So we can begin to see how this shield would be one of the most important pieces of armor possessed by a Roman soldier. But here's where it gets really cool. Watch this. When Roman soldiers went into battle, those carrying the larger shields like this marched in advance of the guard of the army. They marched side by side with their shields together. They called this formation a phalanx. And while this picture just shows a small group of soldiers, historians tell us that at times, the Roman phalanx was said to be as much as a mile wide. Now think about that. This row of soldiers a mile wide. To put that in perspective, it is two miles from this church to Highway 60. So it would be a row of soldiers side by side with these shields, halfway between here and Highway 60, moving forward. Somebody I'd be getting excited about right now. Because you see where we're going. And, but believe it or not, it gets even cooler than this. When the Romans faced their enemies, the ranks of the soldiers that followed the first rank would raise their shields above their heads and then they would butt their shields up against those that are in the first rank like this. This was called the testudo formation. Testudo is a Latin word for tortoise. See where we're going here. So with the shields of the soldiers in the first ranks held side by side, and the following rows holding the shields over their heads, the Romans presented their enemies with an almost impenetrable barrier. Look at this. Arrows, swords, and spears were virtually useless against the Roman phalanx and testudo formations. Since most of the projectiles that were launched by the enemy would fall harmlessly to the ground. Remember, they didn't just have like two or three guys sitting out there like you see in a movie with a bow and arrow and he's firing an arrow and then he has to get another one. No, they had thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of archers that would be standing back here. The Romans are over there. They would have tens of thousands of archers from a long distance away and they would pull those bows back and they would launch those arrows in a big arch and it would rain arrows But in this formation, didn't do a thing to them. But as cool as that is, and since we're not first century Roman soldiers, what does that mean to us? We're told here in Ephesians 6 that we as believers need a shield. Not a shield made of iron or leather, The shield that we are told to hold on to is a shield of faith. And the faith that Paul refers to here is not referring to the doctrines we believe. When someone asks us, well, what what faith are you? Basically meaning, what's the name on your sign out front? That's not what Paul is referring to here. Instead, he's referring to simple faith in God. Faith in his word. Faith that if the Bible says something, then we believe that it's a certainty. That kind of faith. It's the kind of faith that refers to a belief in Jesus Christ that brings salvation. It also speaks of our daily faith in Jesus, faith that leads to blessings and provision and the strength that we have for the journey and the strength that we need for the battle. It is simple trust in the Lord, the the kind of faith that saves us, it grounds us, it strengthens us, it calms us, it grows us, it establishes us. And I will tell you that this kind of faith is a necessary non-negotiable component of the Christian life. Amen. That is not a negotiable thing. Faith is not one of those things that we can take or leave. The kind of faith that we are to have is the kind of faith that in spite of the things that we see around us that would cause us to think otherwise, we know that God is real. We know that his promises are true. We know that he will never leave us in this fight alone. And we know that he never fails. And that kind of faith As our shield, when we have it, we can and we will stand against every fiery error of the devil. We cannot be saved apart from faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. Not not by works, so that no one can boast. There was a survey came out this week that said 62% of people don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real. That's bad enough. That's really bad. Now this is not just people on the street. These are people who profess to be Christians. The Holy Spirit isn't real. These same people still said, 60% of them said, That you can be saved by other means, by works, and doing good things. If you do enough of them, you can be saved. Let's go back and read that passage of Scripture again. Back to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God not by works, so that no one could boast. If we could go out and do something or do enough works or give enough money or be good enough, then what would we do? We'd go, look how good I am, look how much I gave, and look what I am doing. We would boast. But instead, the Bible is clear that salvation comes by faith and faith alone. And with that kind of faith, as our shield, the kind of faith that Paul wrote about right here, we will stand no matter what happens around us. Our entire Christian life is built upon and sustained by a consistent belief that God is and that he blesses those who put their faith in him. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Some people say, well, I just don't have that much faith. Okay. You might be surprised how much faith you have. Look at it this way. We all live by some sort of faith every day. Here's what I mean. We drive across a bridge and we believe it will support us. We have enough faith. We don't stop before we go in on that bridge and go, "Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. No, we don't even think about it unless it's a skyway or something. But we see a bridge and we just drive across it because we have enough faith to believe that it will hold the car up. We go through a tunnel and believe it won't collapse. We trust electricity enough that if we flip that switch, we don't cross our fingers and pray and and say, I hope this light comes on. We just flip the switch and and know it's going to come on. Get on an airplane. Believe it's going to fly. I don't know how it makes no sense. We get on a ship and believe it won't sink because we believe they're safe. All our faith in all of these man-made things is well-founded because in spite of the fact that bridges and tunnels have collapsed, in spite of the fact that sometimes you flip the switch and the electricity doesn't come on, in spite of the fact that cars have crashed, that airplanes have crashed and ships have sunk, in spite of knowing that, we know that for the most part, all these things have proven themselves to be trustworthy. Right? But I will tell you that faith in Jesus goes way beyond The kind of faith when we get in our car and head down the road and drive over a bridge and go through a tunnel. Because not only has he promised over and over to be faithful, he has proven over and over that he is trustworthy and faithful. And he has proven over and over that he never fails. And here's what I mean. Our faith is only as good as the object of that faith. When our faith is in Jesus Christ, our faith is in someone who cannot fail. That means our faith as Christians has power because the object of our faith is all-powerful. We don't have to wonder, is he going to do this? We don't have to wonder, will he take care of me? We don't have to wonder, when I go into this battle... It's like David said, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the kind of faith we need to have. That's the kind of faith that we use as a shield. That no matter what I see, no matter what someone says, no matter what anyone does, no matter what it looks like out there, I will hold up my shield of faith because I know that my God never fails. We need to make sure that our faith is in the right place. We need to make sure that our faith is in the right things. And we need to make sure that our faith is in Jesus. The old song says, On Christ the solid rock I'll stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I'll stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It doesn't matter what happens around me. I know that if I stand on Jesus Christ, I will stand secure, and I will stand firm. We must f- have faith that the gospel will save everyone who trusts in its message. We must have faith in the word of God that it will never fail. Let me go back to that, what I said first. We must have faith that the gospel will save everyone who places their trust in it what do you mean by that pastor that means it doesn't matter who walks in that back door it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what they look like how they act what they smell like how they're dressed it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what they did last night last year it doesn't matter When they walk through that door, we have to have the kind of faith that the gospel, if they will trust in its message, that they will be saved. And when we believe that, and when we act like it, you know what we'll see? We'll see people saved. We'll see lives changed. We'll see people that are headed... To, to an absolute place of destruction, we will see them repent and turn around from that direction they're headed and turn around and go the right direction. That is what we need to see at High Point Church. That's what every church needs to see. I am not interest, interested in seeing how many people I can pull from the church down the road. What I want to see is people to walk in that door who are looking for something and they come here and they find it right here at an altar And they get up and they walk out that door different than they were when they walked in. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. But it will only come if we have faith that the gospel will save everyone who trusts in its message. I will tell you that having faith in God is never misplaced. Our faith in him is essential if we want to succeed in our walk with him. Our faith in God is essential if we want to see the devil defeated in his efforts to attack and destroy us. And I will tell you, he's trying. So we know what this shield is. We know what it's used for. But how do we use it? The Bible says that the shield of faith will enable us to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The NIV says, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In ancient times, the tips of these arrows would often be wrapped in pieces of cloth that had been soaked in pitch. I didn't know what pitch was, so I looked it up. And back in those days, pitch could be a mixture of sulfur and oil or some flammable resin, and then this pitch, they wrap a cloth around the end of the arrow, they dip it in this pitch, and then they light it on fire before they shoot that arrow at the enemy. When the, enemy hit the, when the arrow hit the target, this flaming pitch would splatter in every direction, igniting everything flammable that it touched, including people. Of course, the obvious fact is that arrows could cause damage to By piercing bodies, but in in, in addition to the obvious, the pitch could cause serious burns to the skin. It could burn other equipment and other gear. But if this Roman soldier provided adequate defense against these fiery projectiles, they didn't have to worry about that. If the shield was metal, the arrow and its fiery tip would be deflected. If the shield was leather, what they would do is they would soak them in, in water so that the wet leather would extinguish the fiery arrows. Every day, we as saints of God are attacked by fiery arrows, fiery darts, flaming arrows. What, whatever you, what translation you want to use, they're all the same. They're arrows that are on fire, and they're pointed at us, and they're trying to kill us. The arrows that the devil launches against us are often arrows of temptation, the enemy assaults us with temptations to immorality, hatred, anger, envy, fear, despair, distrust, doubt, pride, and every other conceivable sin. All those things are all sin? Yeah. I'm not going to go back through Satan comes against us continually attacking us and tempting us to sin. And it doesn't matter who you are. Don't go, it doesn't bother me. Yes, he does. It doesn't matter who you are, how spiritual you think you may be. He will still try. The flaming arrows of temptation have the potential to inflict great damage to our lives, but the shield of faith has the power to quench anything the devil would throw our way. It has the power to quench it. But I will tell you it's our choice as to whether or not we use it. I think sometimes there's folks that get taken out by an arrow of the enemy. And it's not because they were so busy fighting the battle that one arrow flipped, slipped through, that they were over here fighting and, and they were fighting with all the, everything they had and, and, and an arrow slipped through and hit them. That's not what happens sometimes. No, I think sometimes we take, get taken out by the enemy because we see the arrow coming. Oh, yeah, we see it. It's a big, giant, flaming arrow headed right at us. But we don't try to deflect it because we kind of like that one. So we put down our shield, maybe thinking, well, it's, it's just one arrow. It's just one little sin. What can it possibly, how can it harm us? And then it hits us and boom, we're out of the battle. Or even worse, it completely destroys us. Trust your shield of faith. Hold it up. You can depend on it. Don't start looking around at sin saying, well, it's not that big a deal, really. You know, it's, it's, it's just not that big a deal. It is that big a deal. That's why we have a shield. That's why we have a shield of faith. We all have things or feelings within us that are easy to ignite. And sometimes all it takes is the tiniest little flame and we are set into a roaring fire. Knowing that, why would we take a chance of lowering that shield and letting a fiery arrow hit us? Seems that in our society, between TV and movies and social media, in fact, pretty much everything we look at, we are being assaulted with fiery darts of sensuality and materialism and sadly, most of us burn pretty easily. As the arrows of the enemy fly toward us, our justifications and rationalizations seem to come pretty natural. We say things like, if, if God didn't really want me to have this, or, then why did he make me to have such a desire for this thing, this person, this particular pleasure? After all, my friend and my neighbor, they do it. They have that. Or we say, well, I know someone who does that and they seem to be doing just fine. So why would I think it would hurt me? Well, let me say a couple things. First of all, you don't know that they're doing just fine. And secondly, if it's sin, why would you be allowing it in your life? Fiery darts kill soldiers. And fiery darts of the devil kills Christians. Put up your shield of faith and leave it up. Well, Pastor, that's pretty strong. It is. This is not a game. It's not a video game where if you get killed, you just hit reset and you get 10 more lives. This is real. We're really good at rationalizing and justifying sin, aren't we? Well, Like what, Pastor? Well, for one, we we gossip and we justify it by talking about how concerned we are about that person. There's a thing I like to call prayer request gossip. Here's what prayer request gossip is. Please pray for sister so-and-so. I hear she's gone back to drinking quite heavily since she found out her husband was having an affair with his secretary. That's just gossip wrapped in a prayer request and it's wrong. Stop it. Just stop it. Don't do that. People wonder why we don't have prayer requests sometimes. We do a gazillion other things often knowing they're wrong, and then we try to justify them in countless ways. It's the sin of the yell, but. The Holy Spirit says, you know what you just did was wrong, right? And we respond, well, yeah, but it's not as bad as what I saw so-and-so do. So-and-so is getting a lot of attention today, and I am really glad they're here. When it comes to sin, we don't get to use the yell butt card. Why? Because sin is sin, and in the end, it all comes down to the same thing. When we sin and try to justify that sin, we are guilty of doing Satan's will over the Lord's will. Look at your neighbor and say, "You know he's right." It's true. God's Word might not name every possible sin, but it certainly lays out some concepts that covers most of them. So when the devil shoots a flaming arrow of sin at us, we raise our shield of faith because we know that it will never fail. C.S. Lewis said this, Because reason cannot survive unless built on a foundation of faith, we must diligently seek to grow in faith, to grow from little faith to great faith. As we do, we will find that faith will sustain us whatever may come and will see us safely home. Satan desires to defeat us and it's very clear. And he has been destroying people's lives since the beginning of time. He's really good at it. A couple of his primary means of accomplishing this is getting us to doubt the truth of God's love for us and getting us to doubt that God is who he says he is. And left unchecked, this doubt will eventually lead to sin. Here's why I say that. Why I say that. Many times when we sin, we do so because we have come to believe that sin can provide something for us that God cannot provide. Sin is almost always rooted in some kind of doubt, in the goodness of God's character. So when we sin, we doubt God, which is the opposite of what? Faith. When we trust God, We are in essence saying that God can't, when we doubt God, let me back up. When we doubt God, we are in essence saying that God can't be trusted to do what he said he would do. I think thinking about a lack of faith in that way would help us to understand how important faith really is. Because most sin starts with doubting the goodness of God. Most sin starts with doubting the truth that God really loves us. So Satan causes us to doubt God by leading us to sin against God and ultimately causing us to justify our sin against God. And when we fall into this trap, we are guilty of degrading God's character and elevating the devil's. And it should be obvious to us by now that there is no good that can come from that. When we listen to the devil more than we listen to God... Who are we following? Satan launched this um, first flaming arrow of this type all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He tempted Eve to doubt God. He tempted Eve to doubt what God had told her and Adam. And since then, the devil has lit, lit every arrow he fires at the people of God from that exact same fire. He tempts us in the same manner in which he tempted Eve. He tempts us all according to the same pattern. It may be different sins that he attempts us with that He tempts us with, but it will be the same pattern over and over. The devil says, "I know what God says." but that's not what it means. God's just holding you back. Go ahead and do what you want. You don't need him. That's what he told Adam and Eve, what he told Eve first. And then we sin. And he says, see there, you didn't drop dead. Keep going. Have some fun. Live a little. Eve said, well, God told us if we eat from that tree that we'll die. Oh, that's not what he meant. That's that's not what he meant. He just doesn't want you to be as smart as him. Try it. Just, just go and try it. Come on, try it. Just try it. So she eats of it. What does he say? He didn't die. You're standing right there. You really believe what God says? And then there's no faith. Because we've listened to the devil. We listened to his lies and we believed it. Even Jesus himself was tempted back in Matthew 4, and Satan used the exact same kind of flaming arrows. He tried to use the word of God against Jesus. And Jesus deflected those arrows the way Eve should have. And it's the same way we should deflect them with what God has said. Jesus deflected them with the word of God. And with faith that what it says is true. And that's what we have to do, no matter what, how good the argument seems that the devil puts up against us. If we are to stand against the attacks of the devil, then we must do it holding up the shield of faith. We must lift the word of God on our own and together. And if we will do that, if we will stand side by side we will create an impenetrable wall, a spiritual version of that testudo formation. And with that in place, Satan cannot defeat us with his poise and schemes. Picture this as the church. That we stand together. It's not me over here standing with my little shield and you standing over here with your little shield and someone else standing over there with their little shield and we think that we can fight this battle. No, it's us together, and we put our shields up. And it might be that those in the front are down on their knees, holding their shield up. And those behind them are holding the shield up and protecting them. And when we do that together, we are covered by faith faith in the Word of God. Faith in the truth of who God is. That is what we must have if we are to be victorious. If we expect to see the flaming arrows of the enemy quenched. Passages of scripture like Proverbs 35 and 6 that says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Psalm 1830 says this, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. 1 John 5, 4 says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So once again, what is the shield of faith? The shield of faith is a simple trust in God. It is faith that says, I am taking God at his word. I am believing him for all the things he has promised. It is putting him and his will against everything else in life. And if we will do that, when Satan launches his arrows of doubt and fear and temptation on us, we are able to hold up the shield of faith and watch those arrows fall harmlessly to the ground. But if we put down that shield and say, I don't need that. We will be destroyed. When we trust God, we can stand against all the attacks of the enemy. The shield of faith is more than just a piece of armor, something to be taken out for our protection when we need it or want it and then put it away when we don't feel like we need it. The shield of faith must be a part of our life each and every day. It is what makes a successful, overcoming, victorious Christian life possible. Romans 1:17 says, "The just shall live by faith." And this kind of faith is the lifeblood of every believer. The shield of faith, which is a simple, childlike faith and trust in the Lord, is a shield that the arrows of Satan cannot penetrate. It will protect us here as we fight the good fight. I'll close with this. When ancient Roman soldiers were slain in battle, they were often carried off the battlefield on their shields. In the same way, I believe that when our battle in this life is over, it is the shield of faith that will carry us home to glory and bring us into the presence of the Lord. Would you stand this morning? There are times when I find myself praying, Lord, increase my faith. There are times when I I pray for folks down here and and I, I pray, Lord, increase this person's faith because I realize how vital it is that our faith continues to grow. If we are to stand in the day that we live in And if we are to be victorious, we must have a shield of faith. Knowing that there is nothing that will come against us that is greater than our faith in God. As the worship team sings, I'm going to ask if you have not made a start to live for God, Would you come down here today and we'll pray with you? And for everyone else, I'm just going to ask you to come too. And just, we're going to pray. You can worship. We can pray for one another. We can sing. We're just going to spend a few moments here in the presence of the Lord together. We're not going to dismiss right this minute. Would you just come this morning as they sing?